Who are the three standouts from the end of season media availability for the Charlotte Hornets? We tell you today on Locked On Hornets. We're Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. It's Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free. We're available anywhere you get your pods, and that includes YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, the official sports book of Locked On. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. That's Doug Branson. Find his work on EveryHornetsBoxScore.com, his Substack. You guessed it, every Hornets box score. You can catch me on WFNZ from 12 to 3 every weekday. That is Sports Radio 92.7 FM. I thought it'd be cool to go over the top three guys that stood out to the end of season media availability. Little Steve list. Clifford talking about some of these guys. Yes, we do. We love rank radio, right? We have our favorite dicks in the NBA. We have our favorite Charlotte Hornets from oh, end Hold of on. Season now you're getting media. it wrong. Now this is, uh, this is uh, important journalism that we're doing. It's not the, our favorite... In honor of Grady Dick, we should give the context here. In honor of Grady Dick out of Kansas being one of the possible uh-huh. lottery selections, we wanted to do the most famous Dicks in basketball history, and we still are. We're up to six at this point. Dick okay. Harder, former first head coach of the Charlotte Hornets, was number six. And we're going to get to the top five. I don't know if it's going to be this show, but it's important journalism, okay. and I won't have you sullying it by getting the facts wrong. So I, I said favorite, it was famous, and I said NBA, and it was basketball. So you're right. I, I am sorry. Those are big differences. Either way, we do have a favorite former first-round pick, or first-round pick, I guess, from this year, and that's Mark Williams. Steve Clifford liked him a lot, too, especially in the second half of the season. I thought he was a standout, and not only just because of his media availability standing there at the podium speaking. Steve Clifford had some glowing remarks about the center from Duke as well. I well, also he sat at, well, he sat at the podium. Him. He didn't stand at the podium. He sat at the podium. Yeah, that's true too, man. I'm really sorry. The journalism <laughs> is a little rusty. I apologize for getting all of these facts wrong. They're not facts. They're just straight lies. I'm telling you lies today on a Friday. It's lie day for me. Let's go to Mark Williams. The first quote that he has here, he is talking a little bit about just the difference between college basketball, the NBA and what he's learned to transition to the best basketball league in the world. Go ahead, Doug. Probably just that everybody's good. You know, it's not it's not like college where, you know, you got a couple guarantees, you know, a team, you know, it's just not going to be that good. But I think in the NBA, anyone can win any given night. Um, so I think just, you know, from a preparation perspective, just, you know, always being locked into, you know, your scouting reports and, you know, personnel and stuff like that. Is a mark, you know, there's no easy center to go against. And I was talking about this too uh, on WFNZ yesterday. We were discussing just how much the center position, not, not that it ever went away, right? Like, but, but there are some really good centers out there in the association right now. You know, I mean, we've got two battling for the MVP with Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. The first player that Mark had to go against was Nurkic, who had a really down year, especially with Nurkic standards, but still a lot of man to go up against for old skinny Mark Williams making his rotation debut. It wasn't his literal debut. That is the journalism that's correct, but it's the first time he was really a part of the rotation. And so he was talking about how tough that was, but he felt like he held his own. And so when I was talking with him on FNZ, Doug, he said, yeah, he, he got confidence 
from playing against Portland. Then he had his, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a 17 and 13 performance against OKC. And then he did discuss, he's like, man, you know, playing Jokic, you think you're doing a good job. And then you look up at the scoreboard and he's got, you know, something like 20, 13 and seven by that point, the game's not even over. And so he, it, it was interesting to hear his perspective on just how his first year went. Yeah, it's not just going up 1v1 against centers as well. Like NBA defenses as opposed to college defenses are just way smarter, way more active. It's guards digging down into you. When you get the ball, you've got to make super quick decisions in the paint or the ball will get stolen very quickly. And to Mark's credit, I think it was one of the things that stood out to me this season from him is just how few mistakes he made once the ball touched his hands. And I'm not talking about like a pick and roll situation where you've got, you know, just a runway to the rim and it's just an easy dunk. I'm talking about the situations where he did catch the ball in the post and had to make one or two moves to get open to the basket. His decision making is just so quick and so accurate. And he just rarely coughed up the basketball. And <laughs> Listen, it's refreshing. It's got to be refreshing to fans oh, yeah. who have had to deal with many years of Bismack Biombo. All credit to Biz. We love Biz. We love the Euro step. There's a lot of things we loved about Biz, but you know his hands were not one of them. And so we've had to endure that for a long time. And so offensively, that stood out to me. You know, I, I know that a lot of things that stood out to people for Mark were, were defensively his ability to protect the basket. But Mark's right. You know, it, there is a, a lot of center talent in the league. I don't think it's as deep a, of a position as maybe guard or forward is anymore. So you know, if you get into the second level of a team's big rotation, then you can take advantage. And I think Mark was able to do that against some smaller teams. But size still matters in the NBA, folks. And you're going to see it here in the playoffs. And I think, you know, Clifford recognizes that, that guards and forwards may win you regular season games. But when we get into the playoffs, you saw it in that Miami-Atlanta matchup. Miami had problems when Atlanta started to unleash their size a little bit. And so that, that still does matter. And having somebody to anchor your defense Absolutely. It matters in the regular season, too, but it really matters once you get to the playoffs. To have somebody that's not a minus on either end of the floor at that position as well, a, a big plus defensively. And I think, I mean, Doug, I think is going to be a plus offensively, right? I mean, I, I think that as well on, on both ends. So I'm, I'm happy as hell about what Mark Williams gave you. And it was a long time. You know, we had to wait a first half before we really saw, saw him a part of the rotation. But we know about the shot. He hit the mid-range. He looked real comfortable taking mid-range shots. And I joked about it earlier this week, but I gave him the over-under on attempted three-pointers next season. I set it at 10. He said he'd take the over on 10 attempted three-pointers. So maybe that's a part of his game. He also mentioned that he'd be working on that next year. You had other, one other thing before we go to Steve Clifford? Well, just like when you have a really great offensive player like LaMelo Ball, you don't want that player to have to expend a, a ton of energy on the defensive end of the floor. You want him to focus on his massive strength that is his offensive playmaking. Just like that, it is nice when potentially the best defensive player or at least rim-protecting player on your team doesn't have to have the ball in his hands a lot on the offensive end and expend a lot of energy oh, yeah. there. He can beat, but the, the key is... And I think he showed this in the games that he got to play, you know, in, in the little tank period, that he can be super effective offensively, even if he only touches the ball, you know, eight, nine, ten times, okay? Or, that's, or his attempts are at eight, nine, or ten. They don't have to be 15. Right. So that's, that's great. I mean, you don't, you don't want that player to want to, you know, to turn into a, 
I don't know, a player that they used to have, Dwight Howard, that needed a ton of touches to be effective offensively, that's going to have ripple effects in the rest of your offense. So it's that's a nice thing. Oh yeah, and unless and unless you're Joel Embiid and just have a an awesome you know point per shot attempt from a post up, and I guess I don't know those numbers, but we know Joel is awesome in the post. Yeah, Mark can get his offensive production elsewhere. All right, we focused a lot on the offense there. Steve Clifford also talked about the defense for Mark Williams as we were starting to delve into a little bit. He had this to say about not only Mark but also Nick Richards. So we had a number of games we were both able to, I would say, at least keep primary scores somewhat off balance and not open up the basket. And now with that being said, a lot of that is Mark Williams, Nick Richards. When we were really good defensively and we had stretch of whatever, I think whatever, I believe we're nine and eight, the first 17 games, right after the all-star break. And in that stretch, we're like second or third in defense. And a big part of it is just those two guys. They're big. Mark is very smart. Nick is physical. They anchor the basket. You can change coverages with them on the floor because they can really move. And uh, So Mark Williams, he said the thing that I think stands out the most to me about Mark. And if we want to touch on Nick, we can as well, but very smart. And I mentioned that too about, you know, that interview that we had at the end of the availability he just picks things up so quickly, man. It's mm-hmm. it's crazy. It does not matter however small the sample size is going to be, whether it's a five-game sample in summer league or preseason, whether it's like a 10-game a sample at the end of his freshman year. It just doesn't matter, man. You see the guy get significantly better at the mm-hmm. end of the stretch that you're talking about compared to where he started. He picks it up so quickly, and it's really hard to do that. Everyone talks about how how difficult it is to learn defense, especially even as a center going to the NBA, and, and Mark is already very good. I mean, Doug, you know that's high praise from Steve Clifford, man, mm-hmm. the guy who has a reputation of not playing rookies because he doesn't trust them, mm-hmm. and who is a defensive guru and a defensive teacher by trade, according to Mitch Kupchak. That guy is spreading all that love to the dude that played the last half of the season. It it means a ton, especially coming from that particular messenger. Well, it is a transformation too, because early in the season, he wasn't, you know, in the preseason training camp period, he wasn't spreading a lot of love to Mark. He had some, and I, I don't know if they were necessarily direct criticisms, but you could pretty clearly understand that Clifford was saying Mark Williams is not ready to play right now. He has a ton of potential. He kept like harping on the fact that this guy, no one asked him about Mark Williams shooting threes, but he kept saying, you know, this guy's, this guy's got the potential to shoot threes. And what I took from that always was like, he better learn how to shoot threes because otherwise, (laughs) you know, he might be in trouble. And I don't know if he still feels that way, but certainly I think, uh, you know, Mark purported himself well on the defensive end and it is smart. He has to be smart because what you didn't hear in that clip, but what he said previously is that this season his defense blitzed a lot. It doubled a lot. And that's how, you know, Steve looked at his defense and said, how are we going to slow down primary scores? And really he thinks in the NBA today, you have to throw a bunch of different coverages at these primary scores or they'll just eat you alive. The Lucas, the Kevins, Mm -hmm. you know, these guys are just going to destroy you if you don't especially if you don't have like sort of lockdown guys, which the Hornets really don't have. They don't have one or two players. Like Gordon might be the best example. Cody would have been an example, but he was out. They don't have like well, lockdown DSJ, defenders. He, you, would, you might you might Yeah, DSJ, yeah, yeah. DSJ ball better. pressure on the guard for sure. Point of attack, absolutely. And, but he wasn't healthy for, for a, uh, you know, yeah. uh, all, uh, the entire season. So 
They don't have a ton of those guys. So then you have to go to schemes. And when you're going to schemes, it's up to especially the big, that pick and roll decision maker to say, all right, am I supposed to am I supposed to blitz here or am I supposed to drop? And if it's not you involved, if you're the big and you're not involved in that decision, then it's your responsibility to protect the rim. And I think what Steve was saying there is during the latter half of the season when they did improve defensively, it was Mark making a lot of those decisions, making the right decisions, playing effectively within that scheme. But then also when he wasn't involved in the direct pick and roll decision, he was down low and and making guards think twice before getting to the rim. That's something that Mason Plumlee did not offer the Hornets. He was not he was going to let that guard go and and they were getting attacked a ton at the rim when Mason was center. He Mason did a lot of good things, but one thing that was obvious that he was not good at what the Hornets desperately needed was rim protection. All right, that's one standout coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. We'll get to the other standout, but you have to stay, stay tuned to find out who that other guy is that we're going to mention. I'm not going to tell you right now. What I will tell you is about the Nissan Most Electric Player of the Week because this episode is brought to you by Nissan Aria. The all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria is awesome with a bunch of different qualities about it. Electric, brilliantly fierce, fiercely elegant, stunningly powerful. It's got the best exact it's got the best intersection of power as well as looking awesome, looking elegant, looking a whole bunch of different stuff that maybe as GA looked against the OKC Thunder or uh, playing for the OKC Thunder. Look, I don't know how many Hornets we can go to right now because they didn't play. So I don't have a Hornet electric. So you're, so you're going. So instead, you've decided I'm going to go to the player that I most wish were a member yeah. of the Charlotte Hornets that had an opportunity to be. You're going with SGA. I'm going to go with SGA and maybe even a Jalen Williams, although he was 4-14 against the Pellies. But here's the reason I wanted to go with the Thunder here, Doug. It's because I, I just I want the Thunder to get further away from having a shot of of getting a pick before the Hornets. Like, just get further <laughs> away from that. I, I can't see any more talent go to OKC. I can't see any yeah. of my favorite draft players go to OKC anymore. So that's why OKC, really Sam Presti, congratulations. Sam Presti is the electric player of the week. The 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin you to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one EV. The all new, all electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the electric vehicle for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. Second standout player coming up next, Locked on Hornets. This is Locked on Hornets. And just that I showed any kind of vulnerability, well, you, yeah, you I just, think not is just going to jump You are the over. gazelle limping <laughs> through the African <laughs> safari. I'm in the mud. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm in some sticky yeah, mud. You are the hippo stuck in the mud. <laughs> yes, yes. And I'm about to just get destroyed by Nas. Or by Nas. <laughs> by Nas. By Nas. <laughs> He's going to come out with me a rap battle. <laughs> it's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. You said his name there, Doug. We both talked about him a little bit. Dennis Smith Jr., the perimeter, maybe elite guy. That's what Steve Clifford would say. DSJ is an elite defender out there on the perimeter. And one of the better undersung stories all year long. And it got some traction at the beginning of the season. But the Hornets kept losing, and they kept losing. And so you would pay attention to other stories from players on winning teams. But it did not change just how effective he was. The guy got a contract. He's going to be on a roster somewhere. And that was not true for a long time this past offseason. We even saw the Bleacher Report article about Dennis Smith Jr. possibly going to play football 
that he was thinking about that after he played football in high school. Mm-hmm. Now here he is an excellent perimeter defender on a team that desperately needed it. And I think he attacked the rim really well. I think he did a good job, even with his three-point shot not falling. He went a long time without hitting the three-point shot, really like in the second and like maybe in the in the last third of the season before we got to the last 10 games or so. But he found a way to contribute. You know, he facilitated at a high level when Lamella would go out. And so I think we have a DSJ clip even talking about we don't have a DSJ clip. Okay, I know we were watching one earlier, but the clip we were talking, the, the clip we were looking at, though, Doug, if we want to save it, he was talking about just how much he's always been a guy to be able to make friends, right? In Portland, mm-hmm. DSJ was a training camp player, and so he he said, yeah, that those guys are at the bottom of the totem pole. Mm-hmm. But anytime we go on a road trip, everybody's hanging out in my room because people just gravitated towards me, and I thought maybe I could build off of that. And he certainly was able to do that this year. Yeah, that's great. I mean, maybe he had the best snacks, you know. Always, always rocking, always rocking the Snickers bar, the maybe king combos. size. If if I if I was combos. a training camp guy, I would have combos to bring people in. Hardy, yeah. Look, all that's salty. fine. You okay. got to deliver on the court, and, and that was the thing for DSJ. Oh, okay. Came I in it was combos. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you got to have combination dribble moves so that you can get okay. to the rim, like DSJ did, and throw down some yammers. We're gonna do a lot of season recapping coming up in the next few weeks, and I want to do Yammer of the Year. I've been taking notes for every Hornets box score. I've been noting the Yammer of the Year nominees. I'm going to go pull those video clips, and and Walker and I are going to get in the laboratory and figure out who had the best dunk of the year. But I'm going to say hmm. Dennis is going to have a few of the top five. Like He's going to have multiple ones because he threw down some absolute hammers. But his offense, other than that, was a, was a little bit limited. As you said, he started off the year surprising us all on the offensive end. I think we were – we were expecting him to hang his hat on defense. We didn't know if he could shoot because that's been the question his entire career. Started well, fell off. His points per shot attempt uh, this year was 95.8. That's ninth percentile among, you, you said combos. He's a combo guard according to Cleaning the Glass. So it's ninth percentile. It's one of the bottom points per shot attempts in the league. And that's the problem that the Hornets had <laughs> really all season is that you had, you know, guards really on this team that were great on offense and bad on defense or vice versa. They don't have a ton of guards that do it on both ends of the floor, which I think makes some of these draft prospects that they have their uh, eyes on, you know, depending on where they land, uh, could be interesting if you can get one of these guys that can do it on both ends. But uh, Dennis Smith did offer a lot to this team. The question now that the, the team faces is how much do you – he wants to be invested in. I think he's tired. You could hear it in his press conference. He's tired of being the guy who gets brought in at the end of training camp. And a lot of that's been yeah. out of his control. It's been injury stuff. You know, that's prevented teams from committing to him. He did have a few injuries this season, uh, but the Hornets have a big decision to make. I've said this on multiple episodes now. If the Hornets are really invested in winning and winning with Steve Clifford, then I feel like you have to find a way to bring back DSJ. Maybe not on like a super big deal or a super long deal. But you got to find a way to bring this guy back because he's the exact kind of player and the exact kind of mentality that you need to win in in this league. Well, yeah, and and you just talk about the competitiveness of Dennis Smith Jr., who almost saw the light, if you will. Man, his time sitting at the podium, I got it right this time, when he was sitting at the podium, he was discussing everything that happened this year and how he just had to have a change, that he had to realize, this is how I'm going to make my way in the NBA, and he did. And it reminds me, you know, maybe like a little bit of a Gary Payton, the second role 
on, on a on a future contender or whatever, right? Like he matters to a contender, but he's not the star player, but he's so defensively, so good defensively, maybe not great at making three-point shots. You can bring those guys back and they're valuable on an NBA contract. And that's why I totally agree with you. I absolutely think they should bring them back. And even, man, just like I went to the Spectrum Center a few more times later in the season just to get one-on-ones with, uh, you know, for WFNZ. And you would see DSJ walk through the hallways and players are walking. They got their headphones in like they're going through treatment, going to the weight room, whatever. It's all it's all fine. Right. I'm not going after him to say, hey, please shake my hand. DSJ comes to me not knowing who I am and say, hey, man, how are you doing? You know, chat me up and then deciding to go over and whoever else he sees on his way to the locker room. Just really happy guy. I it was just I you want those guys in your organization. That helps. And I hope they bring them back too. you've said it. It's a non-serious move if you don't bring them back. And I, I would love for them to find a way. I really would. I'm trying to bring up his trend line because this just sort of illustrates uh, on cleaning the glass. Kind of what but we're while talking. you do that, I'll tell you about his yeah. January. His January, as we were talking about him not hitting a three-point shot, I think he hit one in the entire month. And he played, yeah. I think, every game. And he took a three-pointer at least one in all but two games in the month of January and did not hit one single outside yeah, So shot. you're seeing so what, what Walker is talking about here is this illustration that I'm pointing out with my cursor here, this huge dip that's like way below position average way below season average, but if you circle back to the beginning of the season, look at that hot start. Yeah. I mean, he surprised us all in those first 10 to 15 games, and then he did recover after that January. You can see his points for shot attempt did climb back over the season average and slightly over the position average at one point uh, and then dip back down in that final uh, little period before he exited uh, with that grand, great toe injury, which doesn't sound so great when you injure your toe that that severely, but... Um, yeah, so it, it was a little up and down, but mostly down offensively, and the Hornets are going to have to weigh that as as they figure it out. But look, you don't have a ton of tools on this team that are just super great defensively, so I, I don't see the problem with bringing him back. And I wonder, too, like how, how much of the offensive struggles for him were about the players who weren't on the floor than, than you know, mm-hmm. his ability to knock down shots. We, we just don't know. L- last two notes on DSJ. I think it's also important to bring him back because of Cody Martin's health. That was a weird story all year long. Could never get healthy, never was able to get back on track. So do you want a little bit of insurance there in the backcourt? The other thing is I do love that DSJ got to end his season. Yeah, of course you want him to play, right? He didn't play at the very end, but he ended his season with two wins against the team that drafted him in the Dallas Mavericks. And he talked his bleep afterwards. And I love to see it. That was a great that's way. That's attitude, end it. baby. That's yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. There, there's just there Absolutely. hasn't even if you go back to the Kemba Walker days, there haven't been many guys that on this squad that have had a swagger, an outwardly, uh, an outwardly obvious competitiveness. A lot of guys have been internally competitive. You knew they wanted mm-hmm. to win, but I think this team could stand to have a little bit of a swagger of an attitude out on the floor. And that's just another intangible that uh, that Dennis Smith Jr. brings. All right, so we got to Mark Williams. We got to Dennis Smith Jr. We have one other standout coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. I'll give you a hint. I don't think this guy spoke at the podium, if I'm not mistaken. One of the he few did. that did not. 
He did speak. <laughs> he did okay, another another fact, another That's... lie that you're spreading on this show. Dang I'll it. give you a hint. You want Dang a hint? It. I'll give yeah, you. Yeah, I do hint. want a hint. Mm-hmm. I don't think we want to see less of this guy next season. <laughs> I wonder who. Hmm. I wonder who it can be. I try to throw him off at least. You just gave him the answer. It doesn't matter. We're coming up with one more segment, but now before we get to Built Bar, this episode is brought to you by Old Faithful Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack but don't want all of the sugar and the calories, then you need the best tasting protein bar ever. Built, you got to try it. If you're like me and you want to eat healthier but you don't want to give in on some of the sweets, I got a big old sweet tooth. Built Bar takes care of both the sweet part and the healthy part. It's lower in calories, low in sugar, but they also are high in protein and they're high in fiber but they're doing all of that covered in 100% real chocolate the flavors are great churro peanut butter brownie cookies and cream there's so many more to get to as well and now they're available at sam's club and walmart you don't just have to go to built.com anymore though you can you still can go to built.com if you want to shop online but you can also get them at your local walmart and if you're close to sam's club run in and grab a 13 bar box with hit flavors like brownie batter puff as i just mentioned churro puffs they're light the puffs are a little bit lighter those are great and you can thank me later one more segment to go locked on hornets this is locked on hornets i'm a fantastic googler i'm bad at logging in if they were to do sort of a scouting report of of me and my ability to use the internet todd 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 Todd. yeah excellent googler not a very good guy that's logging in very good at interrupting the host anytime he's trying to go on a rant it's time for more of the locked on hornets podcast All right, Doug, we did get to see more of your boy as the season went on. Yeah, we're talking about JT Thor, if you weren't able to guess from Doug's hint in the last segment. Weird little roller coaster type of season for him, too. And it's not because he's so massively underperformed and then overperformed, right? It's not like he would go 0 of 17, but then also give you a 25-point night. I came into the season thinking JT Thor was easy, a shoe-in, as a Steve Clifford guy. And James Booknight would not be a Steve Clifford guy because, right, offensive microwave ilk, defensively not really up to speed. So that kind of flipped. That was switched at the beginning. James Booknight got the minutes, and I know people might point to the injuries, but again, I've said it a million times. I always thought Steve Clifford was going to give James Booknight minutes, whether there were going to be injuries or not, based on what he was saying. So Booknight gets a big old opportunity, and JT Thor's not playing all that much. Single digits, I mean, he's he's kind of in the rotation, but man, I mean, less than 10 minutes pretty frequently. And then as the season goes on, Steve Clifford starts to shed light on just how much he loves JT Thor. You know, he unprompted in that media session talked about how much you need players like JT who are always mm-hmm. asking questions. Did he say he was, I'm asking, I'm not reporting, so I'm not getting okay. this wrong. Did did he say that he was one of the players texting at night? Was he one of them? No, he did not. I don't think he revealed, okay. other than LaMelo, he said there were three, yeah. but he did not reveal who the other okay. two were. But you speculated on an episode, on a previous did. episode, that he was. I, I did. Well, just because Steve keeps talking about how much JT Thor cares, and, and he obviously got better too, right? It's not just Steve saying it. We could see it offensively, hitting more shots, the Thorner three defensively. I don't think there was ever too much of a question, not a perfect defensive player, but we all that's what got him on the floor. Yeah, I, I'm glad he finished where he did. I'm really surprised that that hasn't been stolen yet, the Thorner three by the team or the broadcast team. I mean, I, you know, 
That's a, that that, Eric, that one is. Yeah. I'm I'm still holding on to that one. They haven't taken that from me yet. Uh, but yeah, Clifford did gush about him at the uh, press conference. I'll tell you one thing that Clifford did say about Thor, and that's that Thor wants to play basketball games. And that may sound like something simple. That's important. That may sound like something uh, you know, you know that's like obvious. But I think that Clifford's point is that we take that for granted in today's NBA, where guys, you know, if they are a little bruised and battered. You know, they they if they have the choice of whether to play or not play sometimes, you know, on a on a random Wednesday, they'll say, no, nah, I'm going to sit this one out and get fully healthy before I get back in there. But what he's saying is Thor has that sort of rare old school mentality of like, unless I can't play, put me out there and I'm and not only put me out there, but when I get out there, I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to execute the game plan. I'm going to play smart, you know, and, and that's what. Clifford was looking for a lot this season were players that could pay, could remember the game plan because <laughs> that was a problem this season. A lot of times you'd hear oh, players yeah. after going, oh, yeah, Clifford right. gave us a great game plan. We just didn't execute on it. <laughs> so it's like, rem- you know, just remembering that yeah. and going out and making sure that when the ball, either when the ball hits your hands that you know what to do with it or even off ball that you just understand where to be spacing on offense and then coverage on defense JT Thorpe provided that for Steve Clifford and Clifford said that, you know, given an off season where he can put on some size, you know, he could be even more effective as we go on. And we saw Thor when he was knocking down those three point shots started in the corner. But as we got towards the end of the season, he was migrating to above the break threes and knocking them down. If Thor can do that, then, you know, he has kind of Marvin Williams esque potential for this team. Yeah, and just uh, to shed light again on Thor with just one game, I I really like the first Dallas contest. 12 points, three steals, two blocks, 40% from three. That was was an awesome game to see them get that victory and JT Thor be such a big part of it. You mentioned Steve Clifford spoke about him. We heard from Mitch Kupchak too. Now, we combed through some of the Mitch Kupchak audios I've been saying this week, but there's a few things that I guess – we had to sit by and wait to pass as we would get to the meat of what Mitch Kupchak was actually mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of audio for Mitch and also not a lot of audio. If if that makes sense, Doug, you take it away and see if you can make sense of it a little bit better than I can. Uh, well, before I play what we're about to play, I would just like to say that this third segment for me is really a treat for the the everydayers out there, the people that watch this show every day. They're dedicated to this show. Uh, they're down with what we're putting out there, and they stick around for the third segment. I know that not everyone sticks around for this segment. It's why we do the importance. Why we put Mark Williams up top, you know, take yep. you behind the curtain a little bit. We do think about this show and how it's structured, and we do the important stuff Sometimes. first so that everybody gets that. But then, you know, we like to bury some fun things like the most famous dicks in NBA history. Uh, you know, we like to bury some basketball stuff. Basketball history. Basketball history. I'm Doug, sorry, you're right. NBA. Basketball basketball history. You're right. Because I did get, get some college guys. I'll tell you, Dick Vitale is in the top five. I won't tell you where, but Dick Vitale is in the top five. So, uh, without further ado, um, here is a uh, collection of this is every single. I just want to make this clear. This is every single time that Mitch Kupchak said, you know, during his exit interview wow. for 2023. Here we go. And, um, you know, you know, you know, you know, 
you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, <laughs> you know Mello still has a, you know, a walking boot. You know, 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 great. You know, 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 you know. So, you know, you know, you know. Once again, I, you know, you know, you know, you know, the booby prize and the whole thing is, you know, you know, the booby prize. You know, 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 I'm gonna look you don't it. always, you know, listen to what a player says, right? You know, you know how you, you know, 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 you know what I mean? You know, we knew, you know, 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 you can make trades now, but that's unlikely. Well, you know, you know, you know, you know, right. You know, you know, you know, you You know, you know, so you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, everything kind of got screwy. You know, um, you know, you know, you know, we know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know that you know, you know, you know. I think we know in there. I think you know. Well, you kind, you you know, you're you know, kind of like you know. So you know, you know, you know, players, contracts, you know, who you draft, you know, right. Um, you know, you know, you know, you, you, you know, of course, it you know, sounds you know, like yo, but I, I, like I think yo better. Say yo, you know, yeah, you know, you know, you know, you know, um, you know, just our second round picks, and I don't want to name them, you know, but you know, you know, yeah, you know, then lo and behold, right, you know, yeah, you know, and. I definitely you know, remember. You know, you know, um, yeah. you, you know, guess what? You know, yeah. And once again, I don't want to go through all the players. You know, you know, you know, you know, no, I know. You know, 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 that's you know, the good stuff. That is the good stuff. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you. I, I like I like a world where he says, you know, in our second round picks, Ronnie Turioff, uh, you know, Robert Sacre, um, and just he just starts mentioning Lakers second round picks from back in the day. I, I like that idea of Mitch Kupchak, but it was all very good. Uh, I did look it up. The booby prize is a mm-hmm. joke prize usually given in recognition of a terrible performance or last place finish. So I think what he was saying there is essentially, even if the Hornets fall to eight, the booby prize, if you will, um, that they would get a decent player. I think that's what he was, okay. you know, trying to say. I, I do. I do know. <laughs> I do. I do think that. All right. And we'll end with that. A fantastic dismount. Thank you to Mitch Kupchak. And thanks to you for listening to Locked On Hornets and making us your first listen. As always, make your second listen game to game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. 
Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. 